Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you on another Monday evening where we will continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth. And yes, we continue to inch ever closer to wrapping up our series of reflections, not only on 2 Corinthians, but 1 and 2 Corinthians, right? We have now been at this for quite some time. And as I did last week, I just want to Continue to encourage all of you listeners to reach out to me by way of email if you wish to call me, that is fine, to let me know what you want me to talk about. This week we are going to wrap up our reflections on Second Corinthians, which means I need new subject matter. I have lots of subject matter that I want to talk about, but I want to make sure that I am meeting you where you are at, that I might better walk with you and uh, help you along as in your questions and observations, you help me along, right? We are in this together. We um, are community, right? So let us help one another. And by the grace of God, as I go through your emails and go through your questions and observations, I might respond to you as God would have me respond to you. And of course, in this case, what I'm talking about, my friends, is responding to what is on your heart and what you want me to talk about. I know some of you have asked me, does it have to be a book? No, it doesn't have to be a book. It can be something else. Now, I know a number of you are suggesting certain books. It would appear that if I do go through another book, as I have with the book of Revelation and First and Second Corinthians, it would be an Old Testament book. A lot of you want to get back into the Old Testament. And I say back, we, we never really have gone through an Old Testament book, so it would be the first time, and it certainly would serve us well. So anyhow, if you have something that you want me to talk about, please let me know. I will continue to set aside Thursdays for Special Topic Thursdays, responding to your very specific questions. Incidentally, as I note that Father Mike Ritter uh, is going to join me this Thursday to respond to the question about the dignity of the human person. I received a question from you about what is the most foundational aspect of, of our Christian and Catholic life and how we relate to one another great question, certainly something that I've touched upon here or there, but we would be well served to really spend a whole Thursday evening talking about that, and we are going to do that uh, with Father Mike Ritter, so I look, I very much look forward to that. Please join us this Thursday. But again, we are in 2 Corinthians, wrapping up our reflections into 2 Corinthians. Now, this evening, what I want to do is go back and reread verses 1 to 4 in chapter 13, that as we reflect into this call we have to fraternally correct one another, we might do it within the backdrop, within the framework of what Paul offers us in chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. I have spoken to an aspect of this already, but I do want to continue to uh, treat these verses within the context of fraternal correction. So this is chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. This third time I am coming to you on the testimony of two or three witnesses, a fact shall be established. 
I warned those who sinned earlier and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again I will not be lenient, since you are looking for proof of Christ speaking in me. He is not weak towards you, but powerful in you. For indeed he was crucified out of weakness, but he lives by the power of God. So also we are weak in him, but toward you we shall live with him by the power of God. All right, so as we have already considered the church's vocation to holiness and the need for Christians to exercise mutual responsibility in living out this call, these series of verses do invite us to consider that an essential aspect of mutual responsibility to one another is fraternal correction. Now, fraternal correction refers to an individual admonishing a brother or sister in Christ who is engaged in sinful behavior. Now, this is certainly an act of charity that is not welcomed by many. Yet, indeed, we are called to engage this spiritual work of mercy because it is a spiritual work of mercy, right? Fraternal correction, admonishing the sinner, my friends, is a spiritual work of mercy, which in of itself should certainly speak to something. Now, I use the phrase admonishing the sinner. What does the word admonish mean? The word admonish comes from the Latin verb monire. Monire. Monire means to warn, uh, to advise, or to alert someone who is in danger. So as such, its purpose is what? But the good of another. It is an act of love, an act of concern. As a father, there are many times throughout the day where in engaging and interacting with my children, I find the need to warn them. Why? Because I'm concerned that their behavior might get them in trouble either in the present or down the road. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have this gospel call, this gospel call, right, to admonish one another. Now, to admonish the sinner is not to belittle or humiliate him, rather, but to alert him, to alert him or her to the danger of a sinful course of action. Always rooted in love, never pride, because the moment that you admonish a sinner in pride, it ceases to be an act of charity, right? In point of fact, St. Thomas Aquinas, in his enumeration on the spiritual works of mercy, rightfully, rightfully recognized admonishing the sinner as an act of charity. Now, in our culture today, sadly, admonishing the sinner has fallen out of favor, and this is for numerous reasons, certainly philosophically and sociologically. Many have relegated much of morality to the realm of private opinion. Uh, admonishing is seen by many as an attempt by the admonisher to what? But impose his or her values on others, or as some sort of unfair or arbitrary judgment. But what we have to remember is that Jesus Christ himself has established an objective moral standard, and this moral standard is the same moral standard that we all live by, right? So we have to be present to objective truth, just not what we feel subjectively, but what is outside of us. Remember, truth in of itself is never to be reduced to what is arbitrary, just what we think it to be. No, truth can be reasoned as such, reasoned as 
objectively true. I can look at the sky and see that it's blue. Now, I can tell someone that I think it's a different color, <laughs> but that someone will look at the sky and say, no, it's blue, because he, he objectively sees that it's a blue sky, right? So when it comes to objective truth, what we have to understand is that what is objective is external, revealed, something that we can see, as opposed to what is subjective. And by that, we mean what is internal, unknown, what we don't see. Christ came to reveal, right, externalize, make known truth. And therefore, we can ascertain such truth as we engage one another as Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ. I am just not speaking in the context of one who is admonishing as much as one who is also to receive admonishment, right? Uh, Very important. What else here is that we must remember that the goal is not to tell others how terrible they are. This is, after all, a work of mercy, right? Neither is the goal to win an argument or feel superior. Rather, the goal is to win the sinner back from a destructive path, right? To announce the forgiveness of sins available to all who repent. The goal, my friends, of admonishing the sinner is salvation, right? Is salvation. What does the word salvation mean? Comes from the Latin root save, to heal, a healing balm. Okay, so to admonish sinners is to call lovingly to those in danger and draw them back from the edge of the abyss. Remember, monire, to warn, to advise, to let them know that they're about to fall off a cliff. Okay, now, admonishing the sinner is not simply a nice thing to get around to if we have time. It is commanded of us, right? What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 18? In that classic gospel passage that speaks to admonishment and reproof. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. So this rebuke should always first and foremost be done in private, right? Because I think there the wisdom is, say the one who you are rebuking, admonishing, does not receive it well, you can have the lively dialogue that you need to have without any interruption. And hopefully, if grace is present in both parties, the rebuke will be received as it ought, and the the reconciliation process would evolve as it ought. So the private rebuke is very important. What about Paul to the church of Galatia? Paul in his letter to the Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any sin, you who are spiritual should recall him in a spirit of gentleness. Look to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here, 
notice that we are called to recognize when a person has been overtaken by sin and to correct him. But also note that the text also cautions us to do so in a spirit of gentleness. Otherwise, we may actually sin in the very process of correcting the sinner. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever found yourself in a spirit of anger or frustration or resentment? And ultimately, in the end, your attempt to correct the sinner, your brother or sister in Christ has failed because you have sinned in the process of correcting the sinner? Maybe we are prideful or unnecessarily harsh in our words of correction. This, my friends, is no way to correct. Gentleness, humility, seems to be the instruction here, and certainly we can say that it is elsewhere, and and we'll get into that, but it also seems that the virtue of patience is called for here, huh? Since we must bear the burdens of one another's sins. Now, we bear this in two ways. First, we accept the fact that others have imperfections and faults that trouble us. Second, we bear the obligation of helping others to know their sin and to repent. This is a burden, right? If you actually enjoy correcting others for your own sake, you have a problem. It is a burden, right? It is a weight, and we must allow Christ to um, help us carry this weight and burden, of course. All right, how about James chapter 5, verse 19? My brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Wow. Did you hear that from James? My brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, What's interesting about this is this text is a bit ambiguous in our treatment on this spiritual work of mercy before. We certainly noted this, this, the ambiguity of this text, the ambiguity as to whose soul is actually saved. But in a manner of speaking, this can be a good thing since it seems that both the corrected and the corrector are beneficiaries of a good, well-executed fraternal correction, right? Right? James chapter 5, verse 19 is another one of those uh, powerful verses we ought to reflect with for sure. How about 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14? If anyone refuses to obey what we say in this letter, note that man and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not look on him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Brothers and sisters, as we spoke to fraternal correction as an act of salvation, we speak then to the rebuke as what but medicine. Medicine even to the point of refusing fellowship when it merits a refusal of fellowship, okay? The sinner never loses his dignity. Otherwise, we would all be at a loss of dignity, right? (laughs) A brother is never to be regarded as an adversary, But sometimes, sometimes when a person is suffering, we can actually do harm in a correction because the soul is so beaten down. 
This is why we must pay close, close attention to the way in which we interact with one another and especially the person who we are who we are rebuking. For example, say someone who you want to fraternally correct has just lost a loved one. How far do you think your fraternal correction would go if that person is still struggling with the loss of a loved one? I would warn you, advise you, fraternally correct you, admonish you not to do that. Okay? Otherwise, something that has already festered will only get worse. Because why, in the end, my friends, when someone is suffering a great deal, it is very difficult for them to receive anything. Timing really is, if not everything, a lot. <laughs> okay? So pay close attention to that. And do understand that what Paul is speaking to here is that unique situation. We do not regard our brother or sister in Christ as an enemy. We never regard a sinner as someone who has less dignity. In point of fact, we are all equal in the eyes of God. How about Colossians chapter 3, verse 16? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. If the word of Christ is rich within us, we will warn when that becomes necessary. This isn't something that you say, look to do as much as when Christ abides in you, Christ will inform you when to do it. How about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and another very important passage. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and thus for training in righteousness and holiness, that the name of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 speaks to how the reproof, how the correction is a part of making us more whole in God, right? What does Jesus say? Be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect. Brothers and sisters, we must help one another become more perfect in Christ. And when we do so, we will arrive at that place we need to be. And again, Always, 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 as Paul reminds us, as well as Peter, 1 Peter 3.15, we reprove, we correct, we admonish in gentleness and reverence, right? In gentleness and reverence, quintessential. Now, as we speak to admonishing our brothers and sisters in Christ, as clearly this is a pressing issue and in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, there is also something else that comes up in these series of verses. The Corinthians threw down the gauntlet before Paul by challenging him to prove that Christ speaks in him. The challenge itself was aimed at ascertaining whether he would stand up against those who were persisting in sinful behavior. Now, as I read this evening in chapter 13, verse 2, the apostle makes clear that he is willing to exercise the power of discipline. But, my friends, he insists that the real proof that Christ speaks in us lies in something much more profound, much more durable, we could say, not to mention <laughs> more difficult, namely, growing in our appropriation of our Lord's character the character of humility, the character of loss, the character, my friends, of poverty. 
This is quintessential because as we talk about this act of charity to admonish one another, to no longer live in sin, we can only do that rightfully in poverty. If we are so concerned about ourselves, how can we possibly be the person that God calls us to be? I think one of the real reasons why we do not fraternally correct one another is because we're too concerned about what people are going to think about us. But my friends, if you are genuine in your actions, and by that I mean never putting up a false act, if you are who God has called you to be, people will recognize that for what it is. And if they don't for one reason or another, that's not your problem. If we are busy about pleasing one another and not God, that's your problem. We have to be concerned not with what man thinks all the time, but with what God thinks all the time. This is kind of the litmus test, is it not? We have to ask ourselves the question, okay, am I about to do this or that because of what my brother or my friend is going to think of me or because of what God is going to think of me? Once again, this brings us back to the what operates your motives. Why do you do what you do? This has to be before us if we are going to faithfully live out these four verses and really faithfully live out that first great spiritual work of mercy, admonishing the sinner. When admonishing the sinner is done right and done well, it is done out of a fruitful relationship, right? This is not something that you do all the time, but something that God puts before you and lets you know when you need to do it, often, if not all the time, within the context of a very, of a very real relationship. And the reason why I say that, my friends, is because what is that one attribute of any good relationship? But trust, right? Trust. If you admonish someone off the street, they might trust you. They might, by the grace of God, see that you have their best interest in them. And so there's a place for that, for sure. But you and I both know that we find ourselves in situations each and every day, and these might be sibling relationships, uh, more general friendships that you have, maybe friendships that you have with people outside the church that you might be called, that you are feeling compelled to say something to. Something else here. When we talk about fraternal correction and, you know, this call we have to do it with the spirit of gentleness and reverence and humility, the first thing you must do when it comes to admonishing a sinner is to pray for the grace of God, right? Often what happens is uh, our words get in the way of what God wants to say, <laughs> right? God wants to use our words, but he cannot use our words if we haven't first asked him how to speak to a certain person, right? We need to pray for that grace, that grace of, that grace of gentleness and reverence, yes, but also that grace of the right thing to say and when to say. Out from a spirit of prayer, out from being informed by God on what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, will then a spiritual admonishment be what it needs to be. Remember what we read from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. Let the man be spiritual who admonishes. So brothers and sisters in Christ, be spiritual, okay? Go to God and allow God to inform you how to best correct 
uh, this person or that person. And by the way, if you are the one being admonished, I would encourage you to pray for the grace to receive that admonishment and to take stock in what the person's saying. In those times when I've been admonished, I put the name of Jesus on my lips and I just try to close my eyes by the grace of God because it does not always work. Lord knows I have fallen in this area. I try to close my eyes and allow God, allow myself to listen to God as the person speaking. Is, is what this person is saying true? We know the answer to that question. Is what this person saying true? Because if what the person is saying is in fact true, then well, I need to listen to it. Okay? So lots to think about this evening. Um, and the bottom line is this. Admonishing the sinner is a part of the gospel message. It is a part of that message that which transforms. It is a part of that message that brings about salvation. And point of fact, it is a quintessential part of that message. As a rebuke is often a kind of medicine. It's going to sting, right? But if it stings, that means it's working. Okay? All right. Let's close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.